Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and we are celebrating a lot of things that I like a whole lot this month. (laughs) (laughs) It is uh, Meditation Month in May. It's May 1st today. And it also, incidentally, is National Masturbation Month. Woo. Do, you, do you need a month for that? <laughs> uh, it should be the all year round. <laughs> yeah, you would think, right? Actually, it was it was uh, started, there was a, a National Masturbation Day was observed <laughs> the, for the first time, May 7th, 1995, uh, after uh, Jocelyn Elders, the Surgeon General at the time, was fired by Bill Clinton because she suggested that <laughs> talking about masturbation and teaching that insects education would be a good idea. And um, he fired her for that. People, oh yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why one of the euphemisms for masturbation is firing the Surgeon General. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was just it was. She was saying this is a, a way to talk about um, safer sex, and it's just part of the. You know, it's part of sexuality. But people were up in arms and he actually had to, or felt pressure to fire her. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, where that came from. It's too bad because Clinton could have uh, benefited from that teaching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and on May 4th, it is World Naked Gardening Day. So um, being that I will be at Wendy's on the 4th, <laughs> I, might, I might have to save that for my own place. I don't know. Yeah, we're not doing naked gardening at my house on the 4th. But okay. don't you have a lot of plants that need planting? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> I do, but not by the time you get there, they'll be uh, in the ground. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we could do some weeding. <laughs> and uh, also on May 4th, it's Star Wars Day. So may the 4th be with you. And also with you. <laughs> and, and I'm not even Catholic. And I somebody <laughs> had to explain that to me. But now, but now I fill it in. That's yeah. Right. Like every other Catholic on the planet. That's right. <laughs> um, I want to go backtrack a little bit. We're going to talk more about Beltane uh, uh, because that is today, May 1st. Um, so you'll hear more about that uh, holiday a little bit later in the show. And it's also May Day today. So that is a worker's holiday for lots of folks as well. Um, mm. And on the 5th, though, is Cinco de Mayo. And I think Mary has a little bit to tell us about that. Well, I just was wondering what was Cinco de Mayo. I know a lot of people get drunk on Cinco de Mayo, but uh, I, I, I had to look it up. So Cinco de Mayo, or the 5th of May, is a holiday that celebrates the date of the Mexican armies. 1862 victory over France at the Battle of Puebla during Franco-Mexican War. I didn't actually know that there was a Franco-Mexican War. Um, that's, well, they don't teach us history south of the Rio Grande. Yeah, really. yeah, that's it. So or it's a, north it, of the north of the 49th parallel, either. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't know anything about about history. Uh, don't know much biology either. <laughs> don't know much about science books. Oh boy. Uh, French I French took. I took. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, Cinco de Mayo is a relatively minor holiday in Mexico, but in the United States, Cinco de Mayo has evolved into a commemoration of Mexican culture and heritage, particularly in areas with large Mexican-American populations. Which leads me to believe that it's very much like St. Patrick's Day. 
because St. Yeah. Patrick's Day is no big thing at all in Ireland, but but here in America, all the immigrants decided to celebrate their culture on that day. And so, everybody else just decides it's a day to drink. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, we have some birthdays we want to acknowledge this week. On um, today, the first is Wes Anderson's birthday. On the second is The Rock, Dwayne Johnson's birthday, and also David Beckham, who is a soccer guy, right? Yeah, <laughs> that a right? soccer guy. <laughs> soccer guy. <laughs> this is how much I know. And spend it like Beckham. Very good yeah, movie. Yeah, okay. Um, and on the fifth is uh, a very important day, other than Cinco de Mayo. It's the birthdays of Adele and Karl Marx. And our very own Mary McGinley. Yeah, I'm in Happy good birthday, company. Mary. Wow. <laughs> and on the sixth, um, we have the birthdays of Meek Mill, George Clooney, and Bob Seeger. So hmm. happy birthday, especially to Mary and everyone else. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> so what's been going on the week before we uh, post this? Well, the week before we post this, we had the Mueller report. Yes, um, came out. The so there's the a redacted lot of the redacted Mueller report. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot less redacted than than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's a lot in it. It's uh, I'm not sure where to start <laughs> with it. I want to read it all. Um, I really want to digest everything about it, but. I think the thing that stands out for me about the report that there really there's a lot more to come. There are a lot more uh, indictments that were redacted. There's a couple we know about that are in process or have happened. Yeah, there's like 14 of them, and we only know about two. Right, right. You know, so I think that Barr's uh, summary saying that you know there's nothing more to come and total exoneration or whatever. You know, he didn't actually say total exoneration, but it was it was construed that way. Um, was very much a lot of spin because there's there's definitely a lot more that will come from this, I think. That's a polite way to say a lot of spin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. As opposed to BS. I'm, just, I'm waiting for the perp walks. I I you know, that's <laughs> Everything I read just gets me angrier and angrier, and then mm -hmm. I have to like not read because I <laughs> I don't want to walk around the house powerless and furious. Mm. <laughs> it's too much. It's too. I mean, I I spend too much of my damn time that way anyway. It's just like this is just making it worse. Yeah. Okay. Oh well, we've got so to deal with that. But in the meantime, though, for me, what it what I feel is. Nobody is saying the one thing that that struck me, and that is that he's obviously he's shown that the Russians have manipulated our our 2016 election. So doesn't that mean that Trump was not duly elected? He wasn't properly elected. So then he's not really the president. Seems to me. But you so know. we can't. So then everything he's done uh, doesn't count. We got to have a do-over. I don't think it works that way. Well, it should. Sadly. I know, but it doesn't work that way. I mean, well, the thing is, you know, we've, 
the the interference in the election isn't that kind of an act of war you know i mean that's oh, yeah. kind of my yeah. takeaway it's like the russians attacked us and we're not doing anything <laughs> it's like okay I, I think is. that too many of the people in the Congress and Senate, they don't understand cyber stuff. And I mean, look at yeah. how look at how they conflated Google and Facebook when they were talking to <laughs> what's his name. So <laughs> so they don't really understand the seriousness of it. Well, I think a lot. Yeah, I think you're right that some people don't understand it. But a, a, another aspect of it is that we just we don't know how to deal with it yet. You know, I mean, I, I it's like I think that we are probably also. I mean, all the countries are keeping an eye on each other in various ways. You know, mm -hmm. I don't obviously I'm not aware of what. CIA is up to or what you know what <laughs> things have have been manipulated by the United States I I don't know but I know that I think it's and I'm not saying two wrongs make a right that's ridiculous but I mean I think that a lot of these things have been in play for a long time and this is one that's really huge and really affects us in a way that we can see and I don't know I don't know that it's the first time I I it's it's egregious though for sure yeah you um, know you're you're making me think of uh, another theme that I think about is uh, somewhere in the earth, everywhere in the population, every old TV show is being American TV show is being played somewhere, right? And okay. where is that the old Mission Impossible playing, <laughs> where they the Americans interfered with everybody's government, and, and now this is what people think of America and is America actually doing that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, since you brought up the TV, I've, uh, I've been watching um, Madam Secretary on CBS, which just had its season finale. And yeah, that was kind of scary too. them talking what happened on Sunday and what happened in the show on Sunday too. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, nah, it was a little different, but, um, yeah, I, my, my, the reason I brought it up is, yeah. um, you know, they have this woman, Tia Leone, who's a secretary of state who kind of, if you like are very, uh, myopic, like if you don't have really good vision and you see like a blonde woman at secretary, <laughs> so she could be like vaguely Hillary Clinton-ish. And um, up until this episode, she was running against some uh, nationalistic populist guy, or she was going to be running against this person who suddenly just dropped out of the race. And I was hoping that they were going to um, kind of show us like a path how to get away from the authoritarianism that's and the and the uh, and the white supremacy bullshit that's happening in reality. You know, I was hoping they would give us like a good metaphor or some strategies for how we can combat that. Um, and if this show continues in some form next year, uh, I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Like um, you, you think that Hollywood has an answer? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I well, you would, isn't you that kind of what you said? Some very <laughs> that Hollywood has a, at least commentary on these things. Yeah, well, I, that the commentary I I I get that from Veep. 
uh, on HBO. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not expecting the, Veep to come up to it. Well, no, an but the clusterfuck going on there, you've got, you've got her basically colluding with the Chinese to get the nomination. And, and then I'm watching, you know, the, the guy, Jonah, who's just basically this tall, gangly asshole who says these awful things all the time in public and nobody likes him, but he's still oh, in the yeah, race. Him. So I'm wondering if he's going to end up getting elected president just because, I think so. <laughs> just from a series of, of fuck-ups that, that he'll end up getting in there. Um, funny. But yeah, it, art it's imitates life. Huh? Well, oh, yeah, I, I think they're doing that kind of on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, saying, "Oh, well, yeah," because like <laughs> there was that whole hush hush conversation. It's like we're not ha- we're not talking about this. We can't talk about this. And and he says, "Well, are we gonna? Can we do the thing that we're not talking about?" You know, <laughs> it was it, it was conversations like that, and it was very um, huh, yeah. But it's 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 funny and horrifying all at the same time. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, so I think my point was that I don't you know, we've got these things going on, we've got new technology, we don't have the laws to or even some of the mechanisms to know how to deal with some of these things, I think is what's going on mm. with the mm. with the Russia um, you know, interference. So I but you're right. I mean that's it is a big elephant in the room that no one's directly addressing right now yeah which is, which is pretty weird um but i would say that i think muller did his job it sounded to me at first like all this sort of we were hearing so much speculation that it seemed like well maybe he's not finding anything or there's not you know there's nothing well, there would come to a decision right and i I've, think he 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 mapped out all, all as many details as he had of really what happened and gave that to the Congress, which yeah, is what his role is supposed to be, you know? So he really, you know, it, it, part of me wishes he said, you know, these are dire times and I must make a judgment and I must, you know, but that's that's not his role and he, he took it. And to he can't, I don't think right. he can make that judgment. Yeah, I, I he's think- He's gotta I, hand it to the Congress. It's Congress, it's up to Congress now to rein in the executive branch and, I know the Senate doesn't have the balls to do it because yeah. they're they're all the majority. You know, the Senate Republicans are up his ass so far. It's it's crazy. Mm. Yeah. Well, but, I guess uh, we had a more reasonable Congress in the seventies when we needed it. <laughs> well, you, well, I you think had the, somebody, even though Nixon was was evil, at least he had a sense of, oh, okay, I better quit now. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because the Republicans had honor and a backbone at that point. But, you know, um, the fact that Reagan didn't, nothing happened to him after Iran-Contra, I knew, I knew the landscape had changed significantly because in my head, that bullshit was, was a much worse thing to do than stealing breaking into an office and stealing some papers yeah (laughs) you know um and and when that all broke i was saying well there goes his presidency and nothing happened and it's like i'm going what um 
But uh, in other in other concerning news, we have uh, the Supreme Court um, is going to be ruling on an LGBTQ uh, case soon. Um, I guess they're they're hearing arguments and they're not they're not going to come to a decision for like maybe the end of the summer in the fall. Is that is that usually how this stuff works? Do you know I, anything about the case? I have not seen. No, I haven't seen the, the details of the case. That's the one thing I've been trying to sort out and find find out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing some things about cases that have led up to it. So basically, um, Title Seven says that you cannot discriminate uh, for well on the basis of race, creed, color, sex. Sexual orientation or just sex? Sex. That's the, that's so, the issue. So that, I guess that's the, yeah. So, so they're so they they're now going to decide if sexual orientation and transgenderness come under ap- that apply. <laughs> it, it's it's it is it under that sex umbrella exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and it's been you know it, at times it's been um, and defined more broadly and at times more narrowly. Well, that's and, on the lower courts in the, in the, in, yeah, right. in the in lower the, courts, they, we, we have conflicting um, decisions mm-hmm. in the different circuit courts. Exactly. And, and this is going to reconcile it. And sadly, I am, I'm very nervous about this. You know, I'm very nervous about this because it comes on the heels of the transgender band in, in the military uh, going into effect. Mm-hmm. And now this is coming up and it's one of those things where I feel, I honestly feel a little naive. I feel like I grew up with that belief that, you know, we're always progressing and things are always getting better, even if it takes a while, you know. You and watch Star Trek too much. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I think we all did. Well, you know, or we're, yeah, we grew up in a kind of a op- time of optimism. And I think the seeds of, going backward and some of this was being sown at the time when I wasn't really aware of it, you know, or a lot of us weren't, I think. Well, yeah, so, a lot, many, most of us weren't. It, it, this was that whole sudden Southern strategy, which was put into place. God, in the thirties, the forties, somewhere around there where they were pushing back against pretty much every progressive thing. Um, well, the Southern like, strategy, I think they use that term when they're talking about after the civil rights act. Yeah. So in the 60s. Okay. You know, 60s, all so. our at John Birch Society was the 30s and the right. 40s. Right, right. Um, which which was like the the precursor of this other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, and and concerning me also is is the is the Senate uh, and I'm not sure if they've actually done it or they're they're trying to do it is to just you know, just appoint judges that aren't even qualified for the lower courts. And uh, because they have, they have the votes and they can push this shit through. Mm -hmm. So they're stacking the courts with conservative people who may or may not be even qualified to be judges. And that's all over the country because the courts have been um, there've been a lot of open seats on the courts, uh, because McConnell wouldn't let anything happen for like Obama's entire presidency. Right. Right. So, 
Um, and these are appointees, know. so there's no, I guess you can vote out the people who appoint them? Is that how uh, I'm not sure. It depends on the state and it, or the federal benches. Um, they, the Senate gets to appoint them, or I, I think the Senate does or the president does. I think it's the Senate. Um, but it's, that's a very scary thing. And I guess for this thing, you know, uh, it's really going to depend on, I guess, Justice Roberts, because he's going to be the swing vote and he's typically conservative. Hmm. You know, I just, I just hope that, I hope whoever's arguing these cases before the court are, you know, I, I can't even give you an example. I just hope they, they're very persuasive and, and that their arguments will sway some of the, the more, some of, some of like the conservative judges who are suddenly, I know Robert sided with the liberals on, on something recently, which was kind of a surprise. Um, but I'm, I'm nervous. So am I. And I mean, I don't know the best legal point to hang it on, but it feels to me like if you can talk about how if someone's performance at work is not affected by some a trait that this person has, yeah, what what can be the issue? You know, that's what it seems most reasonable to me. How someone dresses, or whether they're feminine or masculine, or who their partner is, or whatever, is just should not it's, like job. it's so beside the it's point irrelevant yeah it's completely irrelevant you know um i guess we'll see what people decide the um the main the main you know legal point to argue will be um yeah i'm not sure that it's it it might be just the word sex and talking right. about I, how the you know if if you're discriminating against someone because of who their partner is you're viewing their sex as a factor in making your decision about how you feel about that, you know? Mm. But then that person who's discriminating is very likely doing it on the basis of their religious beliefs. And so they feel that they're being attacked because of their religious beliefs. You know, right. how, Which, this is how they twist it around. Yeah. Which I don't understand in terms of your job, you know? If you're right, at, yeah. That shouldn't matter. But so anyway, um, I, I really appreciate Wendy, your keeping up with the court system ish stuff. I and try hoping, to. Yeah, I want to. It just reminds me that I think it's a good idea for all of us to learn about how those things actually work in our individual states. Yeah, and what well, you I can mean, do to. And, and part of it, it has has to do with my brother. Um, is a he's he's a uh, a law professor, and I think his specialty is constitutional law and the Supreme Court. And, uh, and I just remember him once I remember talking to him after Kavanaugh got, um, got his seat in there. Um, and he was saying that he's just disappointed that he's going to go for his entire life, never being able to be proud of the Supreme court. (laughs) Uh, so that's sad, but, um, our final piece, um, is just of news is, uh, has to do with, a little article in medium um, about uh, 
I guess, um, like cishet people putting their pro or cis people putting their pronouns on their name tags or just using it as part of their as part of their standard introduction. When it, like when you go to an event and you have a little tag that says, hello, my name is, and then yeah. people write on the bottom what their preferred pronouns are, even though they're cis people, it's, it makes, um, it empowers the non-cis people to feel comfortable, uh, letting everyone else know what their pronouns are as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've like, I've enjoyed that trend too, you know, that people automatically just you know, it's just part of how people introduce themselves in a lot of yeah. circles. It's yeah, nice. and I, I particularly put this little article up there too because I thought, oh, this is interesting. I want to, I want to do this too. And they said, not, not just on your hello, my name is tag, but also like on your signature of your email. We all have signatures that go on the bottom of our email, and we don't even think about it. And it could have that too. Things yeah. like that. And I'm starting to default to they, them for people who I don't know very well, mm-hmm. if I'm referring to them. Mm-hmm. I've noticed I do that too. It's really it's just easier because that way I don't, I don't miss, I don't mispronoun them <laughs> by accident because I don't know. Um, yeah. It's interesting though, because they, them is sort of a particular, it has a particular meaning for people who are non-binary or other, you know, or some other gender who wants to use that. So it's interesting that it's also now the generic, which I guess it always has been. Really. It always that's, has that's, been. Yeah, yeah, it always has been. So it's... Um, and it's only recently been... And it's not even... It's it's always... And it's always been... You've always been able to use it as a singular pronoun, even though people have been pushing back when you start doing that. But um, if you think about it, you you've actually used it in language Mm -hmm. um you know like uh just you know like um you know like where's sally they went to the store Mm. you know it's like no biggie so that's Mm. interesting i don't think it gets used quite that way but but it is but it hasn't been used it it, it's used um it's used in another tense more frequently and i can't Mm. think of it right now but um but no you're right it is in the language i i i'm I struggle with it in the way it's used now. And I, but I obviously honor it. You know, I, I mm-hmm. kind of like Z here for my pronouns or she, or she, her, or you can, I'm, I'm very fluid with my pronouns. <laughs> Wait, what is your preference? Z here, Z here, Z- here's. Oh, that's new, new to me. So oh, okay. I've seen that it's, those are hard. Those I can, I, I have, it's easier for me when I'm reading that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, um, it is, Z is is the singular, yes, and the plural is spell that. It's no, uh, not the plural, the possessive. Right. Oh, oh, oh. Um, oh her H I R. Yes. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> so you know, Z here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like those. It feels. How do you spell Z? Z E. It's interesting. It's Z E or Z I E. People uh-huh. spell it different ways. I kind of like Z-I-E, but it's, um, I've been very um, hesitant about pronouns. Like I don't, definitely don't insist on them. I really mm. appreciate when people understand um, my gender fluidity and address me in ways that shows that they understand it. 
Um, and there are certain things I just don't like being called, but I'm pretty, I'm more open than other people, I think, about it. But I think it's a good trend in general to be able to talk about it and, and opening up that conversation with your hello, my name is tag is a really cool <laughs> way to do that. So that's kind of a nice trend. I'll try to remember the Z. It's just when you're when there's words that I'm not used to using, because I've used they since I've been speaking. So they is an easier is an easier default for me than than Z, for that's example. Because Z is a, is like a it's like a new word I have to remember that, oh yeah, that's a word I can use now. Oh, you'll learn how to do See, it. See, that's I interesting get- because I find they harder when when you use it the way you just said it. Like, where is this single person? They went to the store. I don't. Yeah. It, that it, sounds, it sounds, every time I hear that, I have to go, wait, who, they, and, who'd she go that with? That person and who else? And I go, oh, wait, okay, I, I get it. But it, I, okay. it, it tricks my mind when just using a new word, like when Ms. came into okay. fashion. Okay, give you, let me give you a different, a different example. Okay. Um, I just, because I just thought of it. Uh, it's like, okay. Uh, two people having a conversation. When's the plumber coming? They called and they said they'll be here in an hour. That's true. Because you might be talking about the plumbing company. The plumber. But yeah, the, that's the plumber more, might have that an assistant. more normal. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, that's like, that's like, you just answer it like, yeah, they're coming. And, and, uh, and it could be one guy could be more than right. one guy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's true. That that you do hear. It's interesting. But I mean, I'm glad that it's we've got the language and, and the um, acceptance of a third pronoun in general. And um, it's, it's just it's a good it's a positive thing. And it takes getting used to even for people who are not cisgender. So, it's, so it's <laughs> and, all, and then there's, and then there's Futurama, uh, which would be ladies and gentlemen and smizmars. <laughs> I did not know that was the term. In, in the well, Smith, I think Smithmore was a specific thing, a specific third gender, which it was were aliens, but oh, okay. they just threw that in there because there's they. I like that there's more than one, right, right, and uh, <laughs> or more than two, rather. Yeah. So anyway, that's fun. Lovely listeners, we love you all, and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews, and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot. Game of Thrones is back on for its final season, season eight, and I've been watching it for the past nine years because it last year, I think the season seven was two years ago. Um, and between watching that show and just talking to people, I've realized I've kind of uh, solidified in my head why I had. Um, why I dislike the fantasy genre in general and why um, I, as a kid, I didn't like it. And as a young adult and why I'm reluctant to read stuff in that genre um, as opposed to say science fiction. 
Um, and that's because, uh, and it, and it kind of really comes out in, in Game of Thrones and, and that's the TV show based on, uh, George RR R. Martin's, uh, fantasy novels under the heading Song of Ice and Fire. Um, and the TV show has gotten, he never finished the series of books. I think he has two books left to write, uh, to finish writing, not left to write as it sides of things. Um, <laughs> right with a w and not an r um and the show has gone beyond the books like the it's covering information and territory in the timeline that that the author hasn't written about in the novels and and at this point i'm not even sure i care how he's gonna finish writing everything um do you think that the producers went in a different direction i I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but my problem with the fantasy genre in general is um, it's always, <clears throat> even if it's like, uh, it's like not earth at all. And it's like middle earth, uh, Lord of the Rings stuff. It's all basically the technology is about, you know, the middle ages level of technology. And they decided um, that it's because it's the Middle Ages, they're going to take some things from the Earth's Middle Ages, mostly with um, how women are treated in that society. And I think they use it as an excuse to justify a shit ton of misogyny. Um, and that's that's my thesis. And yeah. That's why I, <laughs> and that's why I don't like the fantasy genre. Yeah, I, I get that because... Because what I can see of Game of Thrones, because I don't watch it either, but I have watched it on occasion, and, and uh, is that it's not on Earth. So why why are, why do you have to be be true to Earth things if it's not on Earth? Yeah, why is it only the males can inherit and or you know? Um... Well, I guess they do that so that they can give some conflict to the story. Well, th- yeah, but that's. Maybe I mean now. Now at the at the end, we see all of the the lead women are now in positions of power. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's and there's good there's women who you would kind of be okay with them being your queen, and then there's other women who you don't want to be anywhere within a thousand miles of them, um, because they don't you know they're they're cruel or or you know, they're, they'll kill you as as easily as look at you or whatever. Um, and I think, um, as far as the TV show goes, uh, they're kind of making a little bit of amends for all of the, the misogyny and the rapiness of everything <laughs> that's been happening for the last seven seasons. Um, but I, you know, I'm kind of invested in it, so I'm going to see where it goes. And also, um, I've noticed that the, the, the visualization of the dragons is really amazing. Um, and they took a lot of painstaking care about the anatomy. I mean, the dragons are, I suppose, technically wyverns since they only have four limbs because a wyvern has feet and, and wings and no arms, you know, so they took, they took more, um, terrestrial anatomy and kind of scaled it up 
as because I think their their wings are are bat like, like the 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 wings are are like the the phalange bones, the phalanges bones with uh, leather between them, like a bat, as opposed to bird wings or whatever. Um, yeah, because I've been now looking at a lot of drawings of dragons and paying attention to how they do the anatomy and going, oh, I don't know if that's really working. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it, it. And even in Lord of the Rings, it wasn't really overt misogyny. But, you know, how many female characters are in there that you can think of? Maybe three, two. You know, everybody else. Galadriel. Yeah, there's Galadriel. All right, maybe four. So there's Galadriel and and uh, and Arwen and um, the younger elf girl who liked the human, <laughs> who was played by uh, by Steven Tyler's daughter in the movies. So that's three. I think the fact that you can name them on and count them on one hand says yeah, I, yeah. yeah I mean, they were not on camera for very long. The only thing I remember about about uh, the Lord of the Rings too is going through the forest, this in, interminable <laughs> journey of going through the forest, and there was no women going through the forest. Yeah, it, it's you know it, there was there's there's like no women in the book at all, except for like a handful of token women, and so although. You know, so they weren't like horribly mistreated per se, um, but it's not, and that's and that's why I I wasn't really reading fantasy. And if somebody handed me a book and it was a fantasy book, I mean, even the Lord of the Rings when I was a kid, I tried to I tried to read it. I gave it sixty pages. I was still bored to death, and I didn't read it. And uh, and I I actually sat down and read it. I think before the first film came out, because that's the kind of I I. I think after um, being surprised in a movie that wasn't advertised to me as horror and it got horror elements, I started reading the back material before I go see a film. Like I did that with The Thing um, because I needed to be prepped because I knew that was going to be a scary movie. Uh, the, you know, that, the one from the 80s, I think they're actually remaking it again. The Thing? Um, I don't know, maybe, but this is the John Carpenter one. I read, I read the the John Campbell short story that it was based on, and he did not take all of the opportunities for gore that he could have, because there was mm -hmm. a lot of really nasty stuff going on off, off, uh, out of shot in the in the short story that I thought they were going to put in the film, um, like specifically. Uh, when when the creature attacked all of the sled dogs, because he describes it in the story a little bit, and I'm thinking, wow, okay, we can. I'm sure they're gonna. I I was kind of expecting to see that, and I didn't, and I was glad. Oh, but like yeah. I, I for you know for shit like that, I don't like surprises. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you know that are. <laughs> you want to know the story before you watch. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, because well, here, like for the Avengers, the the Infinity War, after um, and there's going to be spoilers, so skip over ten minutes maybe uh, if you haven't seen Infinity War. It came out a year ago, um, but at the end when you know, they started uh, killing everybody, you know, when when Thanos got got his his uh, gauntlet charged up and he wiped out 
half the population of Earth, um, and all of your favorite characters are just disintegrating into dust. It's like I did not go to back to a movie to, for a year. For for the rest of that year, I didn't go to the movies. I, I think I went to see the Star Wars movie, but that was mm -hmm. it. I was so traumatized <laughs> and upset by that happening because I was so invested in these characters. I just did not know. No movies appealed to me. It's like, fuck this. I'm not paying 20 bucks to go see like my friends die. And, mm -hmm. it, and it probably and it and it probably had to do with the fact that, you know, we had lost Bat two months before I went to see that movie. So I was still thinking yeah. and I really didn't need to see the characters that I named my cats after die, um, you know? Mm, <laughs> was, yeah. you know? Um, so, so I'm curious. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I, I have not gotten into Game of Thrones at all. I just, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm kind of an alien or something because like everyone in the world is talking about this. It's all over social media. And I'm kind of like, I just, from afar, like I just, don't have a great love for that genre at all. And, and I don't know that it's even because of what you're saying. It's just that I just, I kind of go, eh, I shrug my shoulders, you know? And But it's really big for a lot of pagan community people. Like a lot of people really sort of like that fantasy element and sort of portray it a bit even in their personas and things like that sometimes. And it, I find it, I'm just curious what you think the appeal is other than a haven for sexism <laughs> for some people who like that. Um, you know, it, I think it has, it has a similar appeal to, uh, to people as the SCA does. The what, SCA is the society, SCA? society for creative anachronism. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where people get together and they dress up in Renaissance. It, it's, it takes your, you pick, you come up with a persona that lived between um, I think they don't go much earlier than 1300 and they stop at, uh, right before the war of the roses. So it's 14, it's no, it's like after Elizabethan, um, cause Elizabethan is included in that. So maybe it's after I forget. War of the roses ended with, with the Henry the Henry? Oh, well, it, all right. It's not, it's the other one, the other uh, was the English Civil War the War of the Roses? Oh, or was that a oh, different the one? Civil, no, the that War of the Roses the, is, is before the English Civil War. The English War of the Roses started with Richard the Second went to Richard the Third, and and then finally ended up with um, with the uh, uh, the Tudors came into power. Okay. Um. So that's just before then, Elizabeth. So the English Civil War was after that. That's Cromwell, you mean? Yeah, I I don't know uh, at this point. The Civil War is Cromwell. Yes, yeah. so that was just before uh, Ch Charles. Yeah, I think we kind of go up. Uh, the SCA went up to the English Civil War, so it's like from thirteen hundred to the English Civil. So to they that. included the Renaissance. Yeah, oh, of course. Okay. That's what Renaissance Fair. No, That's, okay. It's it's the SCA was like what started all of the other Renaissance fairs. They, oh, they yeah. started this like in the sixties in Berkeley, California, and it's an international thing now. And, and I was in it for a long time. And, and, and then after my second divorce, it's like, I got, we kind of split our fandoms. I got science fiction. He kept the SCA. It's like, <laughs> great. So I didn't have to like see him. Um, 
and and I think I think fantasy, uh, it's 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 all the same. You know, you can you can um, you can be nobility. You can be um, you know you can you can have a lot more stature in the organization than you can in your mundane life. Mm, that makes and sense. And I think that's the appeal. I mean, there were certain and get people to play dress up. And... Yeah. And they get to play dress up and, yeah. and, and then they, and then, you know, if you're into it, you can hit other people with sticks and that's, <laughs> and, and then, you know, and that's all dress and up and hit someone with a stick. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's the appeal to me. I might have a different costume though. I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm, <laughs> I'm imagining that. Um, yeah, but it, it's, uh, I enjoyed when I was doing that. It was fun to dress up and my ex really got into hitting people with sticks. And it also gives you um, like the scene with the black knight at the bridge in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right. That kind of fight actually happens in the SCA. Oh, wait, what are you going to do? Bleed all over me? Off. No, it's not. It's like, <laughs> cause like, cause you're, you're not really hitting with, with like swords and you're not like killing people. So you'll have your rattan pretend sword and you'll hit the guy and it's a good hit on his arm and he'll decide that, or they'll decide, Sam gendering people now, um, they'll decide that that hit wasn't good. And so they'll get into an argument saying, no, you're, I would have killed you. He said, no, you didn't. It's, it's that I've actually seen that argument in <laughs> real <funny>. time. <laughs> that sounds appealing. I think going, going out and doing a fun thing and dressing up seems kind of cool. Like watching the, stuff I've, I've just i just haven't so it's interesting so i'm glad i really i like to hear your take on it okay. i just you know robin i i uh have to say that i'm not watching game of thrones either and but you've seen I it like what you, yeah. for myself it was well it, i first started watching it it first started coming on i think in like 2013 or something i know i was directing a show and one of the actresses wanted to watch it and she was like in our apartment. So we watched it together and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And I, I got through to the f end of the first season where my favorite character got killed. And I, <laughs> I said, okay, I'm not watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, that's, that's, that's the big thing I hear about it. That yeah, George R. 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 Martin kills a lot of his characters off and that's he I makes guess, you love a particular character and then he kills them but that's that his writing very manipulative he does yeah i okay his i started reading his stuff when he was writing short stories and the one that really stood out for me was called sand kings and that was science fiction and they actually did a version of that on uh, one of those anthology series. It was either a, one of the Twilight Zone reboots or a reboot of um, The Outer Limits, I mm -hmm. think, unless it was like a standalone mini thing. Um, and, and it was uh, oh, it was a, a family of actors, like the father and two of the sons played the people in the story, and that was kind of cool. And I'm trying to remember, it was uh, oh, crap. Baldwin's? No. No, it was, um, hmm, it'll come bridges? to me. No, no, no. It's all right. It's, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. The bridges, Bo yeah. Bridges, Jeff Bridges, Lloyd Bridges, they yeah. were all in it. It yeah. was really, and that was cool for that. Um, but the story itself, 
uh, was really intense and, and uh, it was about these um, hive creatures. They were aliens and they, they're like ant, they're size of like large ants. And the, this guy had some in a tank, like a fish tank. And, um, and there were like four different hives and he got them fighting against each other and they kept evolving and getting bigger and bigger. And eventually, um, you know, they, they kind of had the one guy's face as, as like their God. And then what they didn't realize were these were like the, the young stages of these intelligent, big aliens that are like people. And at the end of the story, the guy who was keeping, um, the aliens in the tank and kind of torturing them, kind of the aliens took them into their hive to eat after the story ended. Sounds so, like just desserts. Yeah. Well, I mean that, but that's like George R. R. Martin kind of writing. Yeah. <laughs> so he's killing people all the time. And, but he, he's a very good storyteller. He also, I believe he was the main writer on the, the series Beauty and the Beast with oh. Ron Perlman and, oh. and and the woman who played in Terminator. Yeah. His name is escaping me right now. I know um, who you mean. Yeah. But he was the, he was like the, the story editor on that mm. or like he wrote most of the scripts. I have to, I don't know specifically, but I remember I, I loved that series very much. Um, but to get back to just the fantasy stuff, um, the fantasies that I do like, are are kind of crossover fantasy science fiction and they're written by women because mm. mm -hmm. i was thinking about that too because the pern um the pern series by ann mccaffrey is is fantasy with a science fiction base mm -hmm. because it takes place on another planet that people colonized and then there was this sort of uh there's another planet that every 60, 80 years or so gets close enough to the planet they're living on to drop this toxic shit on the planet and it kills people. And they, and it, it kind of destroys the whole environment. It like this, this rain of, of acidy wormy things they call thread. Hmm. And, and uh, the first book called dragon riders of Pern opens after humans have been living on this planet for long enough that they forgot that they were from somewhere else. And the technology has uh, devolved back to a middle ages level of technology. So that's how it starts. And everybody's riding these giant dragons and, and the dragons eat the thread that falls down and, and they're there to, to protect uh, the, the humans on the planet and actually to protect the planet in general. And, and eventually, I mean, there's like dozens of books in this series, um, and eventually she writes a story about, you know, the first colony, you know, the people that came from earth in the, in the rocket ship and how they discovered these little lizards that they could genetically manipulate and yeah. throw them into dragons and stuff like that, that those books are not misogynistic and I can enjoy what? reading them. <laughs> what, what, what's her name again? The writer? Anne McCaffrey. Anne McCaffrey. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, there there was another writer I was thinking of checking out. Now I can't remember. A woman. <laughs> okay. So um, I can't remember her name. But okay. that, for example, is a is a fantasy 
genre or a fantasy uh, series that is is not misogynistic. Um, you know, the the lead is is a woman in the first book, um, and she kind of you know she starts out as uh, you know it's there's like court intrigue and all that other stuff, but she really you know gets into a lot of other things and. And it's, it doesn't, it didn't, it never felt like the women were being oppressed. You know, women were allowed to have agency in, in her universe, in, in that world. And, um, and it was, and it's different and it, and it's like, that's, that's kind of, um, what, I, and I'm trying to think of other examples, but like I said, fantasy is not my, it's not what I go looking for when I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, Urs- more Ursula Le Guin. Oh yes, Ursula Le Guin. Yes, yes. Is, is that someone you've read? Of course. Yeah. Okay. She's, she's of of anybody. That's the one I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know this genre much at all. And well, so I don't even it. know that I consider Le Guin fantasy. I well, consider her sci-fi. science fiction. Okay. Yeah. Well, the science fiction is different. It's uh, you know, I mean, and she had she was going she was in she was looking at. Um, she did a lot of books, uh, like the dispossessed is, is kind of, um, it's, it's, a it's a, it's, I can't even think of the word now. Now it's not an allegory, but it, it's sort of a story about our, you know, about capitalism and how yeah, it, it well, doesn't I, I work. I think that that's what science fiction is, is a lot of allegory, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. and, uh. And I, if I can remember the name of this book, there was a book that really talked about gender and and had you know the character. Oh. There was a character that changed gender halfway through the oh, book. Oh, I think I know. Uh, left hand of darkness. Uh, it, left hand of darkness. Yeah, <laughs> I had it written down. Yes, so, if somebody was going to read Ursula Le Guin, would you recommend that book to try out first? Maybe. Uh, left hand of darkness is great. Um, the Dispossessed is also very good. Uh, the one that PBS made into a movie. The Lathe of Heaven? Yes. Lathe, I think I would start with Lathe of Heaven. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think she's done other stories that kind of, um, that kind of explore reality getting changed through the, through the actions of one person. Um, she's done, I know there was another short story that, that was uh, that was about um, these researchers. I want to say, God, my I I don't know. My I mean, this is the uh, creeping senility. I can't think of the word for the people who study cultures. Anthropologists. Yes. God damn. <laughs> yes. So that's these ant- exo anthropologists going to this planet and examining this culture that didn't make any sense to them. And then it turns out that this whole planet was in, created because of this young pubescent boy's dreams. What was the mm. name of that? I don't know. It was a short story. Oh, um, by who? Ursula Gwynn. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll look and, at her short uh, stories. And uh, that one, cause it was like, you know, all of the, the young women were really beautiful and very sexually active. Mm. And, and it's like once the population hit 40, it was like a whole other culture. 
it's like the kid didn't care about the old people so they yeah. could go do what they wanted and all the oh, young wow. people were just busy having sex all the time <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm really simplifying this story but it's that's kind of what okay <laughs> and yeah and in science fiction is it's i find science fiction there are writers who will write a lot of misogynistic horrible stuff but in in the science fiction genre you're going to find a lot more uh men and women writing things that are um that are more egalitarian with with uh with the whole male female dynamic and the whole gender spectrum dynamic especially nowadays um and a lot of the really old stuff for like the 50s 60s and 70s a uh, little less in the 70s but definitely the 50s and 60s uh there's a lot of really good stuff that was written by women under men's pseudonyms oh like what not what names get, uh james tiptree jr mm -hmm. is one of the big ones wow. uh, and her her name was alice sheldon i believe her real name and she she was a uh, she was a very popular author under James Tiptree Jr. and and um, one of the the titles of one of her stories really stuck with me and I actually kind of incorporated it into a song that I never released and it's called "The Women Men Don't See." And uh, mm, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, That's powerful. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the um the first wave feminist science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> writing was very very good and very powerful and and a big influence on me when i was a kid finding these books joanna russ is another one um and Susie mckee charnas who i recently friended on facebook which kind of blew me away because i these people i was reading when i was a kid and i you don't think of them as still being around and being accessible and suddenly I have friended CJ Cherry who, oh my God, I've read all her, like so many of her books. And it was, um, and these are all like hard science fiction writers that are women and, and, uh, and they're still around and they're still writing and I recommend reading them. We should write these down and ha have them on our website. Yeah, absolutely. Share the links. That'd be great. Yeah. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash robinreneefan. Tweet at me at spiritrocksexy. And follow me on Instagram at robinreneemusic. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use the Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com.
So when we've released this podcast, it is May 1st, which is Beltane. And Beltane is a special holiday for non-Christian people or for pagan people, whoever, whatever you want to call yourself. Anyway, pe- people have adopted Beltane as something that they like. And I wanted to ask Robin how she feels about Beltane. Um. <laughs> well, that's kind of a weird. I wasn't expecting that as the introduction. Um, Beltane is it's the it's the next holiday after Ostara, which is the um, the spring equinox. So it's sort of the in a way it's like the high point of it's the it's the it's the summer season in, in at least in the Celtic term you know um it is how do we well yes it's a cross quarter it's, it's a cross quarter it's it's sort of con- it's in some traditions considered like the height of the summer season you know um or the, beginning, the beginning of or the, the beginning yeah however you, there's ways to there's so many oh. different ways that people sort of characterize it was it in celtic celtic um Paganism, it's like, well, in the in the old days, at least what we believe is they, it, it, there wasn't spring and fall. It was just winter and summer. Right. So this is the start summer. Okay. That's, that's the good way to put it. Because the other, the other on the six months from now, it's Halloween. It's Samhain. And, right. and then also we have to think in terms of agricultural seasons and that Beltane is the start of everything, um, coming into blossom or starting yeah, to grow? Yeah, it's, it's in bloom, it's in full bloom. It's the it's the holiday that metaphorically the the goddess and god are married. Mm. That's another way that people... They're fertilizing the fields. Yeah, people going out and having sex in the fields. Yes, and so a lot of people <laughs> sort of um, imitate that by performing the great rite on their own in outdoors, you know, and of course... Um, the and great so, right is, is having sex. Having sex. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but it's a celebration of fertility. It's it's the, it's life in full bloom. It's it's a very sort of positive. It's my favorite. Um, it's my favorite pagan holiday. Actually, it just feels. I think it's the most hopeful. It's the most. Um, it, it has a sense of fullness to it. I think. Mm spiritually um it has the potential you know a lot of people if people want to have babies they will do rituals on beltane to, for fertility i am not a child having type of person <laughs> but there's always um there's there are always creativity it's creative projects i want to um come into fruition so it's a time to sort of um make motions toward those so it's and it's been uh normalized as mother's day oh that's true i thought that was invented by card companies yeah but it's the timing think about timing it's i mean we celebrate beltane on the first but i think astrologically it's actually the 15th Mm -hmm. the sun is right in between um the equinox and the summer solstice, I think, but um, Mother's Day, and and to be to to be, I guess, in full disclosure, um, 
So Mother's Day is kind of a Beltane thing. And it's also because the summer solstice is more of the, the god, the peak of, of the male deity's energy and Father's Day is in June. And I don't think those are accidental. And it could be there was a pagan working at the, at the card company. <laughs> <laughs> that I kind of, you know, in my head canon, that's kind of how, how it happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's actually cool. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense too. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think about it. And I think I think of, even though Beltane is like the start of summer, I, I think I also think of it as sort of the height of things as well, because you kind of have the two, you have the lunar and the solar, cycles mm-hmm. happening together and the and the god and goddess myths that sort of circle around that but i think because when you get to summer solstice it really does start the decline of light even though it's the, mm. it, even though it's it's so warm it's, out and you know yeah. it's the time we're still all going to the beach and doing all these things out in the world like the days start to get a little bit shorter so i think beltane you still don't feel any of that it's just bright and sunny and you know we just mm-hmm. have the, that time of year um i there are a couple traditions i really love i really like to make a maypole and do a maypole dance um it just feels very i don't know it's like a, it's a meditative act to actually create it mm-hmm. and then it's it, it's usually fun and silly when we do the actual dance yeah and it just sort of it, it's hard to not smile and um yeah. Just enjoy this, enjoy the ritual. And and there have been rituals where um, I remember one Beltane at one of our mutual friends' houses. Uh, there were a lot of people there and we did a very, every, I, I think there had to be at least 20 people dancing the Maypole. And, um, and the magic that we do, it's supposed to, it's supposed to kind of lay out the shape of the year by the time the poll is done you see how the weave is and maybe and we the, should explain to people who don't who've never seen a maypole dance what's involved okay um you've got people holding ribbons and half of them move around the circle in in one direction and the other half move in the other direction so and, and they're alternating yes and and you go over and under the, With the ribbons, the ribbons, in the ribbons um, and then it kind of, and then as you go around the pole, it weaves this pattern of ribbons on the pole. And the dancers are getting closer and closer to the pole. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, it, there's lots of room for getting caught and screwing up. <laughs> yes. And so, so anyway, we had this, we had this maypole that started out really disorganized up at the top and then it was kind of good in the middle and it kind of got a little sloppy at the bottom and that's exactly how everybody's year went that year Mm -hmm. so (laughs) which which was uh really interesting to to see that in retrospect um to look back at you know because you pull a pole out and then the next year you kind of lay another you lay another row of uh, another layer of ribbons down on top of it so you have the poll from last year and you look at it and you go wow my year actually really did kind of look like that so <laughs> i should leave it before you want me to leave the, the ones on and then we'll just put more for it if you want okay uh, yeah i thought she usually uh disentangled them and we redid them 
Yeah, well, that's one way. It depends. It depends on the on the pagan. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well, paganism is a very individualized spiritual path. Might yeah. be easier. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, whatever. If you don't want to get more ribbons, then unribbon it. You know. <laughs> no, no, fresh ribbons either way. But anyway, it's um, uh, it's a good, it's a good thing. And I also like to jump the bale fire. I I think Beltane, bale fire is the the sacred fire that we start mm-hmm. and sort of that goes in the center of the circle that we cast and we do ritual. And um, I believe those words are related. So like the bale fire or the bell mm. was what, na- you know, part, was in part what named the holiday. And um, so, yeah, people sort of hold hands and jump over the fire to and call out something that they want to bring into their life or something they want to celebrate or something or and like that and we try to not make it too high of a fire <laughs> so no one gets injured but uh, that's fun like and that. don't you use a um uh, a piece of wood from the from from yeah uh, you can just gun. use a, an, a yule, you know a smoldering log, log. No, we no? burn the yule log at yule oh from the year before well, um, I don't know. Confused. I'm confused. You're just thinking that, like, sometimes we take a, a smoldering log and take it out and jump over that, as opposed to jump over the yeah. actual fire. Oh yeah, fire. that's what I was thinking. Yes, I'm. I'm terrified of jumping the fire because I am this huge klutz. Mm. <laughs> I keep. I, I'm always completely terrified when I'm doing it. It's like, am I going to make it over here? I'm going to trip on something, land in the middle of the fire, land on my face. I, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but spiritually, um, I think it's the time of year when I'm most able to access joy. Hmm. Hmm. There's something about the opening up of the warmth and coming into a season that I, where I feel most at home and most, um, I don't know. Like there's a lot of promise and Mm -hmm. I feel like I can achieve the things I want to achieve and I feel connected. And I think that's part of the thing, you know, when people talk about the goddess and God in union, it's, I don't know. It's like Shiva Shakti. It's like, um, it's like our deep connectedness, Mm. I think is what that speaks to metaphorically and, a lot of the actions we take um, can help us realize that. Mm. So, you know, if you're doing, if you're just sort of recognizing that personally, or if you're doing, you know, you can do sex magic to, um, to, to, to integrate the things about your life or your personality or your partnership or whatever, you know? And I think all of those things kind of have that, resonance for me at Beltane. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. You know, you're making me think too of an experience. It was uh, a, a seminal experience for me um, when I was in college and I went to Douglas College and you know what Douglas looks like. It has um, has trees and things. <laughs> I know. has trees. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas College, we have trees. At this this time of year, it has all these um, 
cherry blossom trees yeah, it is all over the place, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I had broken up with the boyfriend that I had been on again, off again, on again, off again with this guy. And I was so depressed. And it was this time of year. It was my birthday. And I'm walking down the street. And I'm all sad and depressed and crying and everything. And I look up and I see the trees, the pink blossoms all over the place. And I say, this is beautiful. Why should I feel so bad? And I stopped feeling bad. That's good. Mm-hmm. And I and it was this time of year. It, it just really kind of got to me. And, and I was more hopeful. I said, something better will come along. Yeah, nature... Yeah. Nature can do that. It's it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah I think also um, this time of year, especially since we did the daylight savings that everybody hates, including me, but now that I'm past my jet lag, it's, you know, it's getting light by 630, the sun's up and it's warmer. And, and I, I've been a lot more positive in the last few days or last week or so. And I think it's, and I'm starting to suspect that maybe I also have that seasonal effective depression thing that Mm. you get in the winter. And, and I never used to get that, but I think it's also because there's been too many people close to me that have died in the dark months. Mm. So Mm -hmm. it kind of screws it all up and, and, uh, and screws the holidays that they die near up for me. Mm. Um, So nobody die now. You know what? Everybody dies. Yeah, but they don't have to die around Beltane. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. pick a different pick a different time to die so I can have at least one holiday <laughs> that's not tainted. <laughs> yeah. well, I find that observing the seasons really has helped me feel less down and feel more balanced all year round. Because I definitely good. have that seasonal thing where I, I'm just much better in the late months and um but keeping keeping this practice i found really matters it helps because mm-hmm. there's sort of a purpose and there's a there's something to celebrate all all year round yeah well that's that's, that's the one thing i do like about our holidays every six weeks and then on the the phases of the moon is because there's something going on all the time uh it gets it gets too hectic when you include other religions special days because they everybody kind of crowds around um like the ostara easter passover (laughs) conjunction for example and and uh you know um and then the you know the winter solstice collection of a billion holidays <laughs> well if you try to do all of them I, I there was a year when i tried to celebrate all of them in some significant way it was a lot <laughs> it was yeah it was because I, I was trying to raise my daughter in in a pluralistic environment so she could pick whatever she wanted to do and after doing that for one year i said to everybody okay we're picking one religion and that's the one we're gonna do because i can't every it was like every time i turned around it was like something else i had to prep for uh-huh. Every day or every three days, there was something. <laughs> it was insane. That's, said, that's it. One year. That's it. That's I'm not doing this. Because if, well, if you celebrate every day, then it loses its meaning. Well, you're trying to do Catholic, Jewish, and pagan all at once. Yeah, it's like too much. It's too, too much. much. <laughs> it's yeah. way too much. 
Well, you can bring in little elements of each thing to your celebration or something like that, as opposed to try to do the full. It was also grandparent visiting. and (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I was just trying to do everything all (laughs) for a year. And it's like, no, 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 no. We have to, we have to just put a stake in the ground and say, okay, we're going to do this. And this is what we're going to do. This year going forward. Because mom has too much, mom can't do this. Well, I appreciate our getting together because I don't really have family that I gather with for the most part um, anymore. So these matter. It's nice, you know. So happy belting, everybody. Yeah. Happy belting. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape the shape of progressive conversation new episodes every wednesday 